0: This July 2018 is EVJ's 50th birthday. To celebrate this occasion, EVJ is producing an online collection of topics, keeping in mind veterinary medicine 50 years ago. This podcast is another way of celebrating the 50th birthday of EVJ, and we're fortunate enough to have the past and present editors of EVJ, Leo Jeffcott and Celia Marr, join us to look back at how far EVJ has come, and look forward to what EVJ has in store. Leo has been associated with the Equine Veterinary Journal for 45 years. He was assistant editor from 1973 to 1975 when he took over as editor from John Hickman, making him the second editor of the journal. Leo is now Professor Emeritus of Veterinary Science at the University of Sydney. Celia Marr became the fourth editor of the journal in 2009 And currently juggles a position whilst working as an internal medicine clinician at Rossdale's Equine Hospital. Leo, thanks very much for joining us for this special um, edition of the Equine Veterinary Journal podcast, coming all the way from Australia. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about um, when the journal was started and what inspired its creation and who was around um, to start the, the journal?
1: Okay, okay. The journal, of course, came from the British Equine Veterinary Association that was set up in 1961, and it held day meetings and an annual conference every year. And from the day meetings and from the annual conference, uh, proceedings were produced. Um, And these were really very well done. The uh, British Equine Veterinary Association had an Editor, and his name was Ian Silver, Professor Ian Silver from um, from Bristol, um, and he looked after the proceedings from nineteen sixty one till um, about sixty six or uh, thereabouts, uh, and the proceedings of the day and, and and annual conferences were published in in the proceedings book, which was came out uh, once uh, once a year, um, and. <clears throat> Everything really was extremely good with these proceedings, except that they were not peer reviewed. Um, The the papers were not peer reviewed; they were edited but not peer reviewed. And so, um, the association wanted to raise the raise the standard and wanted to um, start or initiate a journal only for equine veterinary science, which really was not available at, um, at this time in the in the mid to late 60s. And so they were thinking on how best to do it, and they planned it really fairly well and asked um, a luminary in the uh, British Equine Veterinary Association, Colonel John Hickman, to be the first, to to be the first editor. Uh, And that was in about about 1967, I suppose. And he was... Um, not only a very senior person in the profession, the first president of beaver but but also somebody uh, in the University of Cambridge who um, was uh, academically very 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 sound and so he was asked to be the first uh, the first editor and he put the proceedings uh, together for the first uh, few issues of the of, of the journal which came out in nineteen sixty eight and they had about Four or five articles in, in in each, but it was very well received, and the papers were uh, reviewed by peer re- peer reviewers. And the British Equine Veterinary Association was very pleased with itself that it had initiated this uh, um, this this whole pro- this whole project. And Colonel Hickman went on from strength to strength to build up the journal uh, in the, um, the 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 first. A few years, um, I was not associated. The first assistant editor was Dr. Alistair Fraser, and in 1973, I became the second assistant uh, editor and learned how to uh, uh, to manage the 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 journal. Um, Colonel Hickman was in Cambridge, and I worked in Newmarket and uh, lived in Fordham, which is, as you know, the headquarters of of the British Equine Veterinary Association now. Um, And so it was all very close together. The Printer for the uh, first few years of the journal until it went to Gearing's in in, in Maidstone um, was a, a company in in Ely, in Ely. so Ely Newmarket uh, Cambridge it was all very 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 close together and it worked very e- efficiently and once the journal was being uh, was being uh, Published, it had to be sent out to the Beaver members, who were the main uh, recipients of the journal in in those days. And at that time, my wife uh, was appointed as the uh, first administrator for Beaver, and it was her job to organise and send out the, um, the the journals. And from 1975 to 1979, I was the uh, was the editor uh, for the journal after after Colonel Hickman. So those first few years were really very important in getting the journal started. Um, And I kept things going and and, uh, hopefully um, improved things to a certain extent. But it really wasn't until 1979 when I knew that with my... Uh, commitments. I couldn't continue uh, to 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 be the editor. It was t- uh, too time time consuming for me, and um, I managed to talk uh, Peter Rossdale into considering to be the uh, the third editor of the of EVJ, um, which he very graciously did, and then managed to uh, <laughs> to be the editor for thirty years after after that, and. I can talk for hours on how he improved. I mean, he was an absolute luminary um, because he was the senior partner in a veterinary practice in Newmarket that required 100% from him. And somewhere along the line, he produced another 100% to manage the journal and to improve it and to enlarge it and to uh, uh, organize a second journal because it was getting so busy and he doubled the size of it and and then he had this amazing uh, arrangement with the american association for equine practitioners which got numbers of the journal over to the to the states and ensured the financial viability of the whole thing so that it wasn't just left for a bill for beaver to, to beaver to pay so it really was pretty um pretty amazing in my in you know in my view and then when peter retired they um uh, changed the way that the journal was done it went over to a professional publisher um instead of being run by by Peter's own publishing company and uh Wiley and John Wiley and Company and um and that uh started and then they appointed Celia as the um, um the fourth editor uh, and she has been spectacularly successful as well
0: so, who were the other key members of your editorial board when you were editor that helped you?
1: Well, now, now you're now you're asking, Rhiannon. I'll do my I'll, I'll do my best. think um, we um, we had. Uh, uh, I worked with Richard Archer, who was the director of the Khan Research Station, where where I was where I was based, and uh, and he was uh, he was a, he was a member. Um, there were four or five members members of the board, and I had um, Catherine Wickwell as the assistant editor. She worked at the same place that I did in 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 pathology, um, and that you know so that worked ex- extremely well. Um, and I got, you know, really good support from, uh, f- from the board and continued to, you know, gradually expand the journal from, from the, uh, you know, the early beginnings.
0: So what did you think was the biggest technological advance um, published during your time as editor?
1: Well, it, it, this is not very difficult, actually, because when I took over, it was still hot metal printing, um, and that was done in this company in in, uh, in elite, but then they moved over to whatever it 's called photo litho, you know the uh, um, computerized uh, printing and that and because in those early days we didn 't do things on you know on the, on the computer; it was all you know typewritten and handed, handed in so um, when everything became uh, Properly computerized. I think that was the that was the biggest thing. It made publishing uh, for a group of amateurs, if you see what I mean, very mm-hmm. much um, more more possible. And gradually, the thing that happened with the journal was became it became more and more technologically um, updated, and more and more and more uh, professional people were were involved with Gearing's the printers, and 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 then on to you know John Wiley, etc. That they that they do now. So the thing is is very, very different from the rather um, amateurish way that we, we started out with my wife and I, <laughs> looking after pretty well the pretty well the whole the whole process from the time that you know journals came in and sending out for review and then getting back reviewers' comments and and getting editing done um, and then getting them to the printer and then checking the uh, the you know the, the proofs and it was fascinating to see, actually see some of the hot metal. Printing done in those very early, very very early days. It was a very good printer that, that, that we had in Ely. Don't ask me its name. I've just forgotten it. But, um, I guess the you know then then really it wasn't an, the other e- enormous thing was once it was with Wileys and they went to Scholar Scholar One the the uh, for editing and the peer review process and that's made an enormous difference and it's so much more efficient um, and I, and I think this is as you know made sure that the quality of of the um, uh, of the papers that come to the journal i mean there's a large number that are rejected only the very best papers get in i think you know so it's a um it's a very good system that is that is run with it
0: rihanna so during your time as editor um who would you Mm -hmm. give the veterinary equivalent of the nobel prize to over your years
1: in in, in,
0: um, in that's really
1: medicine. difficult because the equine veterinary journal, you know, did just about anything as if it was related to if it was related to horses, and so sort of skimming through in in my mind, I think I would probably have given that to Barbara Weaver. Um, the um, outstanding anesthetist from bristol university uh, who published early in the in the journal and and she made such a difference to to horse practice and horse surgery by making sure that animals that horses could actually be anesthetized you could keep them out and you could bring them around successfully and that you know i I think she's uh, for me she was probably uh, absolutely outstanding (laughs)
0: Fantastic, but,
1: but there were many other people I mean Peter Rothdale himself was uh, amazing and, and and you know and twin allen and, and, and some uh, um, Les Vaughan there was a, you know a, a remarkable number of people that did that did really well um, and so I suppose that choosing a topic is was actually quite difficult, but I think yeah. from the point of view of how important it is fifty years later, then anesthesia is certainly one of the ones that, that um, I, I mean the you know the the, the other thing of uh, Twink Allen and Peter Rustell's you know contribution to uh, mayor fertility uh, uh, has made an absolutely outstanding contribution to improved um, conception and folding rates in, in falls foals and generally in in you know infertility, and I, I think that you know then also with 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 the surgeries and the people that we chose to to do these articles, I, I think, have done a, an excellent job in showing how important that the early work was and how these uh, topics are still very much in, the, um, uh, in need for, for further, you know, further advancement.
0: So what were the biggest challenges you found um, during your time as editor?
1: I think the biggest challenge for me was finding the time and and the stress of never being off duty, and that's why I
0: mm-hmm. think you
1: know for Peter Rostell to do it for thirty years was incredible, really, because it, you you never if you're doing one issue that's great, but as soon as that issue is finished, you're you're already seriously into the next issue and starting the issue after after that. So there's there's never any any let up, and so if you do have a difficulty with a with a paper, it it can make things it can make that. You know that uh, cycle of how they're how they're going a bit confusing, and yes, you can always move things a, 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 around a bit and and I think that I had a particularly busy or stressful job um, at the, at the time, and so because this was this was your part time job or this was you know it, it was not something that uh, um, you could take uh, you could take very lightly so I, I think I think it was the pressure of continually being uh, on call to, you know, to receive papers, to uh, answer questions, to uh, get to reviewers, to uh, disagree with, with with either reviewers or authors about, mm-hmm. you know, about things, and, and to keep the whole thing and keep the publisher up to, sp- the printer up to speed and make sure that he met his deadlines and that. So it was a, it, it for me, Very it was tricky. a fairly stressful ex- existence and that it was a good job that I had my missus at home to look after the, the once, it, once it was published, I knew it was all right after that.
0: And on the other side of things, what were the biggest highlights?
1: The, I think the biggest t- highlights was... Every time you saw a new issue, it seemed you know, like having another baby almost, as it were. You know, this was, this was good. This is the best one we've done yet. And there's some really good, some really good. I, th- I think it was the, satisf- you know, after the stress of getting it all done, the satisfaction of um, being able to see uh, um, something finished, as it were. And I think that's what. The you know the publication whether you are a, a, an author you know a reviewer or or an editor as it were it, there's enormous satisfaction in getting the the job done and it, it falls apart of course if you haven't done a good job but but I, I have to say that you know I think EVJ has done a stellar job for mm-hmm. you know for these fifty, 50 years um, and it's continues to go on uh, getting getting better um so there's an enormous amount of satisfaction in the work that you do as an editor Mm -hmm. even though you may not always be the most (laughs) popular person around and you're also always asking for favors from reviewers and things like that so you when when you get in touch with people they think oh god not him again you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) so have things progressed as you imagine they would have done
1: well, much better than uh,
0: they've than, uh, exceeded.
1: I done. I, I would. I, I think. I mean. I think Peter did a, um, an absolutely outstanding job, and now it's becomes you know so professional um, with all the uh, you know with Wiley and all the com- scholar one and all the computerized stuff and and everything being done uh, more more efficiently and having someone with such a broad. You know, area of interest like Celia and that it's um, it, it's and the and the associate editors and things that do a you know do a tremendous mm-hmm. job. I, I think it's it's a very neat package that's been put together, and it's it, I think it's very successful.
0: So this is a question for um, both Celia and Leo um, during mm-hmm. their time. Bit of a cheeky question. Who was the quickest reviewer um, you found during your time as editors? I'll let Leo answer
2: first.
1: My my, uh, my answer was that um, Richard Archer, who was the director of the Econ Research Station at the time that I was um, I, I was editor, um, and so he was my boss. Um, but he was simply amazing. I mean, there were so few that were were amazing. But if he said he would do it, it was always done in about forty eight hours, um, and and very and a good reviewer too. His, his knowledge of hematology and eosinophils was unbelievable. His knowledge about horses and almost anything else was pretty hopeless.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when I thought you'd think about this question, actually, I, I feel slightly better qualified to tell you the answer to who's the slowest reviewer. I don't know I yes. A number of candidates that I could, <laughs> could nominate there, um, but, but but perhaps I better be a bit more discreet. Um, Actually, you know there there's just such a huge number of people nowadays that are involved in EBJ's review process. Um, and and in particular, the people who serve on the editorial consultants board are um, fantastic and and generally uh, respond very quickly. And we do put a lot of emphasis um, nowadays on trying to get the review process. Um, done promptly and I know that that's something that's important to authors but I guess we have to bear in mind you know most people who are doing these reviews are doing them um, in their spare time it is a it is a kind of volunteer process um, mm-hmm. and so you know people get relatively little rec- recognition for for reviewing so I guess I'd like to take this opportunity to to, to thank people um, for mm-hmm. our efforts, um, but I couldn't really pick out one individual. I don't think <laughs> you're very diplomatic,
0: <laughs> Celia. When you started as editor, um, what were your main objectives?
2: Ooh, that's quite a quite a hard um, question. You know, I I was very lucky when I started in that um, you know Equine Veterinary Journal. Um, was so well established in its place as the, the the go-to place for good quality equine clinical research, and and that was uh, obvi- obviously the early editors like Leo um, deserve a lot of credit for that. But but um, we should also recognise that Peter Rossdale. Um, served as editor for an extraordinary long time, over over thirty five years, in fact. And so the journal um, was really solid. You know, the, there was a, a huge um, and well organized reviewer database when I um, started. Um Beva and EBJ Limited had negotiated the transition to um, publishing in partnership with Wiley. So we had all the um, IT support there. Um, and actually our manager at Wiley at the time, Martin Tilley, um, is very experienced uh, veterinary journal manager. So I I learned a lot from him. But in trying to kind of take the journal forward, I think the to answer your questions, one of the objectives that I had was to try to focus more on um, delivering a good service and a good product to the reader. Um, so I, I think before I um, started, that the, the the journal was very orientated towards providing a good service to the author and uh, allowing a showcase for, uh, or somewhere that authors could showcase their work. Um, But I tried to um, enhance that, if you like, or complement that um, by focusing a little bit more on what does the reader really want? Because we all know that, you know, equine practitioners are busy, and um, also the the amount of literature that comes out um, grows exponentially every year. No one can possibly keep up with everything in the journal. And there's sort of been a bit of a transition from perhaps 20 or 30 years ago, uh, an equine vet might receive his EVJ um, by post and would sort of flick through it and use that as a method for keeping up to date. Now I think people are looking for things that are slightly more... um, uh, Specific, specific to topics so some rather than reading everything in the journal um, people might decide that because they've seen a case or because of their particular interest they want to know what's new in a particular condition or, um, or in a particular discipline so we can no longer rely on the fact that, that our reader is just going to read EVJ, they're far more likely to find literature by um, searching online for a, a disease or a clinical problem um, so we had to, to kind of accommodate accommodate that, that change to the to the digital searching format and, and and things like actually Rhiannon you're to be credited for introducing the podcasts that um, that was um, your idea I don't expect that when you came to me with that idea that you realised that the inevitable result would be <laughs> such a good idea you had to do it yourself. Um, thank you. Very good. Use we podcasts. We've got our highlighted papers. We're we're um, introducing uh, video abstracts. So it's all about trying to deliver the material that our authors put together um, to the reader in a, an as accessible format as possible. Absolutely. And you know, modern social media were my objectives and I suppose as part of that I think we wanted to you know I wanted to kind of get the journal in a position where we were leading the field and um, you know Wiley is great for, from this respect that they, um, they do keep us appraised of, of new developments and we try to embrace that as much as we can and um, and at the same time, um, going back to the authors, we don't want to ignore them altogether. I, I was keen to make the journals slightly more international. Uh, so we did a lot of work recruiting a, a wider range of people to the boards. And then I'm not sure whether this is an author service or a reader service, but um, I was anxious also to improve the quality of um statistical review and, and there are different ways that you can do that but the way that we chose to do it was to recruit a, a team of people who can advise on study design and data analysis and and uh, I wasn't sure that that was going to work actually a lot of journals just, just engage one statistical editor um, so it was a relatively unusual way to go about it but I think that's been a huge success so we knew, now have 40 some people all of whom who uh, contribute statistical reviews and particularly in the in the area of clinical research um i feel that's really improved the um the quality of the um the review process and that in turn improves the quality of the um of the papers that we're publishing
0: so leo and i previously discussed um the biggest challenges he faced during his time as editor, and that was really juggling a full-time veterinary career with an editorial role as well. What have been your biggest challenges, Celia?
2: Well, I, that one is definitely true. Um, and, and so, as you know, I, I work full-time in uh, clinical practice in internal medicine, and our caseload here in Newmarket is very much focused towards the um, intensive care end of things, um, so that 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 can be um, very time consuming, and it can be difficult to to find the time to, to do the journal stuff. What I do find is, um, and I worked previously in an academic position with with the the usual um, three way split of teaching, research, and and clinics, and I actually, I really like the combination that I have now, which is sort of 80% of my time is, is or my weekday time is supposed to be dedicated to clinics and, and 20% to the journal. It, it doesn't really work out evenly throughout the year. I kind of feel at the moment it's like 150% of my time is dedicated. Two full because We do take up a lot of time. Anyway, um, the good thing about EVJ is they're is relatively little that I can't you know come in in the morning anticipating that I'm going to spend the entire day doing journal stuff and discover that no that's not what I'm going to be doing I'm going to do something in the clinic Um, so you can always kind of put it aside for a few hours in the way that if you're if it's if your timetable to be lecturing the third year then it doesn't really matter what's happening in the clinic. That's going to be, you're going to be in the lecture room. So it's more flexible, I think than a, than a typical um, clinical academic position. Um, But, Mm. you know, and and I'm very lucky, you know, I took, when I started, Peter was doing this job entirely on his own. um, But actually we're a team of 10 editors now. um, So um, that, that uh, Definitely helps, um, mm. and it also. I think one of the challenges I have is at the end of the day, I am really just a, a clinician. You know, the the range of science that we have to address is way beyond my um, knowledge, um, but that's that's where my fellow editors really uh, help a lot. So we try to recruit our editors to encompass the breadth of material that EBJ deals with. Mm-hmm.
0: And a question for you both: What do you envisage the biggest advance in equine veterinary medicine over the next, say, ten years will be? Well, you can go first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I guess I would uh, think that um, the uh, technological or uh, imaging side of things is is going to continue to. Um, develop very very um, rapidly and that we're going to be using you know ct and mris and and pets and and other scans and things very much more which will hopefully take us uh, further with the diagnosis because i think if, if if clinicians are better able to um to get closer to a diagnosis then this is this would be this would be very helpful i i think the the uh, I, I mentioned earlier about anesthesia, anaesthe- ana- and I think this has this has been astronomical. I, I, there's obviously a whole lot of challenges, but um, there's still um, oh. there's there's they, we've made such progress, and um, we're so much safer with anesthesia now. You know now nowadays that there are a lot of these things that have done extremely well. So where is it? And again, with surgery, that there's been so much done that one can't see quite such uh, tremendous. Uh, so it would be much more in terms of, of uh, things like imaging and pathology to assist with um, um, with di- with diagnosis and um, tests for clinicians and so you know and, and so on
2: yeah, I would definitely agree that imaging is is up there if you think um, and, and that that's been a progressive theme over many years, but it certainly uh, continues to explode. The other area that I, I think that it, we're just beginning to mm-hmm. to see um, it coming into the hands of clinicians, but is the sort of genomics and metabolomics and so forth. And, yeah. you know, even things like the, in, in infectious disease, um, the introduction of PCR and, and bringing that into the hands of um, clinical practice has yeah. transformed yeah. how we manage infectious disease. And that's that's going to build and build. I mean, the... the um, the ability to screen for a wide range of pathogens um, quickly and easily, and mm-hmm. you know, and also just identify pathogens that we had never even heard of um, <laughs> before. Um, for sure, there's a whole bunch more coming. Um, so, I think the introduction—I don't know quite what the right phraseology is—the molecular diagnostics, I suppose—and
0: mm-hmm. with that,
2: um, I think. Clearly, we're beginning to see work identifying genetic... Traits and how they. Much of the research so far is, is, or much of the interest, if you like, in the industry is looking at um, how specific genetic markers might relate to um, physiological traits of the horse. Um, but what I think is much more exciting is um, genetic markers for disease, mm-hmm. uh, which will hopefully allow us. What perhaps once we understand the um, the epidemiology and environmental factors a bit better too. But that's a really exciting area that I think if you come, whoever's um, dealing with the journal in another 50 years' time, my bet would be that they'd be doing a lot of that sort of stuff. Celia,
0: what um, can we expect from EVJ in the near future?
2: Oh, well, we've got, we've got various initiatives going on. We, we just launched uh, our, our website, actually, has just migrated to a new platform, which offers much more flexibility and the ability to add in interactive tools. So we're looking into how we can use journal articles to perhaps support a program of um, continuing education credit um, increasingly for all sorts of reasons, we, we all need to accumulate um, validated um, accreditation points. So that's something that, that the um, the journal is very interested in pursuing. Um, we are also keen to sort of look at ways for um, expanding our um are different ways of delivering the, the material to the reader um, and so that is definitely um, quite a interesting area and and things like the podcasts which you began um, are only, one of the many ways that, that uh, journal articles can be delivered. But I think it's important also not to lose, lose sight of the sort of core values. So I would hope that in 10 years' time we'll be able to continue to say that uh, you know we have uh, the highest impact factor um, for a single um, clinical ger- a single species clinical journal. And um, also that we'd like to continue to be really prompt in our review processes. I think we could improve our speed of delivery to the reader. Um, so right now, when a paper is accepted, it, it takes about 10 days for that to get online. I, I think I, I'd really like to see perhaps in 10, 10 years' time that is much closer to, to um two days, perhaps, or maybe even 10 hours. Um, So speeding up our delivery to the reader. um, But it's important, I think, also to, um, I don't know if you can have an aspiration to continue to do the same, but I I think I'd like to continue to maintain the quality that the editors over the last 50 years um, have been able to deliver.
0: Celia and Leo, thank you so much for joining us for this special edition. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Good.
1: It's a pleasure.